Hey, everybody, and welcome to Views on View. I'm Ben Hong, Senior Front-End Engineer at GitLab. And today on our panel, we have Ari Clark, UI UX Engineer at Liquid. Hello. We also have Chris Fritz from the View team. Howdy, howdy. And today, our special guest is Jack Kappa, who I had the pleasure of working with at Politico. Jack, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, Ben. My name is Jack Kappa, front-end developer at Politico. Came from kind of a web design background and have been doing front-end dev for four or five years now. Um, love working with you and happy to be here. Awesome. About 10 months before we started Ruby Rogues, which is the oldest podcast on devchat.tv, I went freelance. And one of the things that I figured out pretty fast is that I had no idea what I was doing. And I made a bunch of mistakes, but I also made a bunch of friends who were doing freelance. And we got together and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. And The Freelancer Show has been running about as long as JavaScript Jabber. But we talk every week about all of the things that we were learning and doing in freelancing and giving people advice on how to get their business started so that they could go out and be independent if that's what they wanted. Nowadays, I'm not on the show anymore, but we have terrific people like Ruben Lerner and Eric Dietrich that come on every week and talk to you about how they run their businesses and give other perspectives on things that you can do. So whether it's how to find clients or whether it's how to step in and start doing training or other programs or how to run a business, they have a ton of experience and they talk about all kinds of things that are gonna help you pull things together and be successful as a freelancer. So whether you're thinking about moonlighting and trying it out or whether you're going whole hog and quitting your job, you should definitely check out The Freelancer Show and you can find that at freelancershow.com. Well, I guess to get things kicked off, so since you've been in the front-end community for about four or five years now, what was like your first experience with frameworks in general? Like, How'd you get into like frameworks and then Vue? Started, you know, if you can call anything like jQuery a, a framework, that was, I think, for most of us, the first time that we experienced something on top of JavaScript. But my first kind of software gig was with an Angular project. It was a company that had used AngularJS, and then this was their first Angular 2 Plus project which is also a pretty relevant thing for our topic today with, with TypeScript, because obviously Angular 2 is when they started writing and, and developing everything in TypeScript for Angular, which was a really good experience, very opinionated, and so got to see some of the good and bad things about frameworks with that. Then kind of after that role, a year or two ago, um, started picking up React, and then sort of because of the Politico job, got interested in Vue. So at this point, over the last year and a half, I'd say 90% Vue and 10% React on personal projects. So as someone who's had experience working with all three frameworks, can you talk a little bit about sort of the good and bad of, in comparison of the onboarding um, as you came on Vue in comparison to the other frameworks? Yeah, the interesting thing about onboarding with Vue was a, a decent portion of it was with Ben, either through meetup events or things recommended once, once I started at Politico. The wonderful thing about Vue is, is how easy it is to test on any given site. And I think that's something, obviously, that that's been built in from the framework from the beginning. It's great to be able to add Vue to any given HTML page and then just follow the tutorial from there. Here's how you create your div. Now start doing things to it and, and, and iterating over it or adding BFs and things like that. Whereas both Angular and React, at least for me, have really only been approachable from the Create React app and the Angular CLI, where it really only works if you start a project from scratch, which is totally okay. For Angular, they very intentionally have it that way. That's a very, they'll say, very opinionated framework. They, in order for things to work with dependency injection and with TypeScript and uh, with their testing setup, you really need the CLI to scaffold and architect a project, which is great. In some ways, if you're being brought on and and you have any questions about how are things done in this case, because there's really only one source of truth for how to work with that framework, and it's the Angular documentation. React obviously has the, a huge community that does things in a lot of different ways. But if, if, if you're getting started, it's very much like take Create React app and first learn all the things about how React sets up its project and all the different things that go into making React function. All of them have pluses and minuses, but I think obviously the thing that stands out with Vue a lot is you can try it anywhere and learn sort of jumping in at any point. It also works when you jump into a full-size project, primarily because you have some great resources like enterprise boilerplates to work with. Cool. And, and you're using like TypeScript, right? Yeah. So you get sort of like a little bit of an Angular 2 experience. So can you talk more about like your experience, like, like deciding to use TypeScript and, and what it gives you, that kind of thing? 
Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of that came from having used it previously on an Angular project and, and benefiting from all the things that TypeScript made available, which I was really grateful for on that Angular project. And so coming into one of our view projects, actually, when I got here, we were setting up a, a new application at, uh, at Politico, and it was time to decide sort of some of the scaffolding. When I expressed that I'd be really interested in trying out TypeScript on this project and seeing what benefits or challenges it would uh, provide, obviously, there's a much steeper, maybe not learning curve, but a much steeper setup curve than with Angular where you don't have to think about it. However, the fact that, and and this is something that I'd be happy to get into a bit more with Vue and and TypeScript, is that the fact that the Vue CLI has TypeScript plugins and the necessary dependencies already set up, that made it manageable, essentially. And so uh, we were able to initialize a project with TypeScript already in place. And then that meant that the difficulties where things needed to be configured or you ran across a part of Vue that doesn't work quite the same when you're using TypeScript, those were gradual instead of all at once. You could just start the project with TypeScript installed and you could write your first component with some basic types with no issues. And so I think that was huge that the scaffolding and and the available plugins ecosystem already allows allows TypeScript out of the box. So even though it's not as painless as Angular, it it certainly is um, greatly helped by the CLI structure. And for people not familiar with TypeScript, I'm, I'm a little bit curious, what do you find TypeScript solves for you? Like what, what kind of problems does it solve for you in your applications? Yeah, I think a common thing as teams get bigger that they run into is either working on a project with multiple developers and trying to figure out intent and how components or portions of the application are interlinked that you are not working on yourself. And or just if the project that you're working on is big enough and current you doesn't always know what you from two months ago was thinking, there's a lot of friction in JavaScript where you're trying to guess what any given method or in the case of view, any given prop or any given event that's being emitted, what the intent and shape kind of of that thing is. So a really common example that you come across all the time in a view application would be maybe a user component that accepts a prop of user and perhaps the user to that component is providing being provided by a list somewhere else. And it's really tough sometimes when you're in the user component to know what the shape of user is. Is it user.name, user.name.first, user.name.last, that type of thing. And that usually entails in a JavaScript project clicking between a lot of different files and hoping that those properties never change, that the first time you write it, it's the same as when it eventually ships to production. So the big thing <laughs> the big thing with TypeScript is that you can set information about the types of your variables or your functions. And this is, I guess, bearing the lead a little bit for those who haven't yet worked with TypeScript. It's a, it's a static typing system so that you can add information about the shape of a variable or what a function returns or a constant and what properties are available on it, as opposed to just knowing those things in JavaScript and expecting that, yep, when I get this user object, it'll be user.id. And so that type of information where you can keep things consistent between developers, between components, between perhaps uh, mix-ins or or Vuex or all the parts of a Vue application, I think a really key part of this is especially when the application is data heavy and you have lots of data models that you're trying to work with and manage, uh, which has sort of become a theme with SPAs as, as more and more code ends up in the, in the browser. I think that's where TypeScript is really important with these data heavy and, and model heavy applications. Yeah, I've, it, when I'm not working with types, I, I've personally found myself sort of trying to solve the same problem by either like console.logging user to see like, you know, what kind of stuff is on user yes. or, you know, just like printing user out to the page so I can just like see that object and, and take a look. Yeah. 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 I just make classes and, but that assumes that I consistently use that class anytime I have an instance of that data model, which as it turns out, just yesterday, I discovered I was not always consistent with that. So yeah. I've been thinking more and more about trying to integrate TypeScript, which actually brings me to a good question. Have you worked much with integrating TypeScript in existing projects? And if so, was it awful? 
it was not flawless. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was, it was not effortless. Here in DC, where Politico is located, we have a View DC meetup. One of the workshops that I attempted to lead was on adding TypeScript to an existing project because that's in view. That's a lot, I would say, a much more common difficulty because starting with TypeScript is, is super manageable. So in the adding, the process of just converting components to, I don't know if you've seen in, in the documentation, just setting, you just take your script tag and you set lang equals ts. And theoretically, that's all that's required to get started. But you'll quickly run into some difficulties. For example, Vitor or TypeScript, when you try to compile, will tell you that it doesn't know the types of the component because you need to use a certain view.extend method so you can get that type information. And then if you have a really complex application where you're already using the two things that are, remain problem points for TypeScript and Vue are Vuex and linting, both of those things can become a little bit of an issue. Linting is really manageable to move past. You'll likely at this point just switch over to TSLint, which has roughly a one-to-one correspondence with linting rules. But Vuex is a big thing because Vue has a lot of, you know, there are lots of things in it which are magic to the developer where it can parse just, uh, you know, our, our map actions and get actions. You can tell it, this is the part of Vuex that I'm interested in. It, I'll just give it a string and Vue will know what to do with that. But that's sort of antithetical to the TypeScript approach, which is everything Everything has to be specific, I guess, uh, and intentional and correctly linked. And so for Vuex to work in TypeScript, there's a lot of... There's some tomfoolery that goes on there. And I'm happy to get into that, what the various solutions are to that. But I think if your application is complicated enough where you're using Vuex in lots of places and you like the simplicity of Vue JavaScript using Vuex, I think that's honestly, if not a deal breaker, the the primary thing to consider. Yeah, so I mean, in, in general... (laughs) like typescript just like needs more information like when you export default like an object like a plain object it doesn't know that like this is like all view related stuff it doesn't have the context for that so you you you'd wrap that object in view.extend to say hey this is actually a view thing so just so you know you can apply like all your assumptions about view stuff to this object Yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, Vue has, for the most part, eliminated that problem. In that case, without too much difficulty, the approach they took was provide lots of complicated but very effective type definitions for a Vue.extends method, which takes in the exact same component object that you normally output in your script tag. So, essentially to get it initially working with a lot of useful type annotations. Yeah, it's just view.extends that method and then your normal component options object. But, but exactly exactly that with Vuex, that's it's a little more complex. Yeah. So does that mean, for example, not that I've ever done this before, <laughs> but let's say if I was trying to create a created hook and I accidentally spelled it like created. <laughs> in there <laughs> which is which is maybe almost impossible to see that mistake uh unless you have some kind of tooling to tell you that it's wrong would typescript tell me like oh created isn't a thing yeah absolutely <laughs> as much as we may want created to be a thing and really much- i maybe it should just be an alias <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> we should hit the most common misspellings as aliases for most of these things i think But yes, absolutely. That's a great thing that TypeScript gives us. So at the time that you're writing that code, uh, perhaps in VS Code, perhaps in any other editor where you can where you can make TypeScript work, at the moment that you type created, normally Vue just allows that to go through because it's it's basically the onus is on you as a developer in in plain JavaScript to know that the things that you're typing out match the expectations of the application or view in this case, but when TypeScript's initialized on your project and you type created, it'll yell at you and it'll say created does not exist on type view options or something of that sort. And the great thing is TypeScript error messages continue to get better. So I would bet, maybe I wouldn't bet a ton of money, but I would bet that when you type that, uh, TypeScript will also come back, did you mean created? It can do a lot of really useful things about, hey, (laughs) hey, idiot, this is me. This is not what you meant to do. 
<laughs> yeah, and I don't know about you, but like I'm often not at 100% when I'm coding. I have like maybe two hours in a day, maybe one hour, <laughs> where I'm just like 100% of my brain capacity, super sharp. And the rest of the time, it's just like, you know what? I'll give it what I've got. <laughs> uh, and, and I think in this particular instance with Created, <laughs> ESLint plugin view can also like warn you about that, uh, even without view extend. But uh, there are a lot of cases, like we were talking about that user object where mm-hmm. like you have like user.name or like something I've done before or is like user.complete when really the property is user.isComplete. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I, I don't realize that mistake until I see the feature not working. But with something like TypeScript, it would tell you right away, yo, user.complete isn't a thing. Like these are the properties that are available. Pick from one of those. <laughs> so in another yeah. way, it sounds a little like you get unit testing for free. Like, uh, is that one way of looking at it for those who haven't used it before? Yeah, and I, th- I think you'll immediately get people who are super invested in unit testing to push back on that and say, of course, a layer of <laughs> testing on that, a layer of testing on top of this is, if not mandatory, important. But like, micro unit testing, micro. Yeah, 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 micro. Yeah, 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 micro uh, property testing or something. You do, and I think it's so. View a CLI project is initialized with, in most cases, a linting plugin that does a great job of catching, catching some of the obvious mistakes that one can make. But you get sort of two different, two new build steps kind of for free with TypeScript, or sorry, two new development workflow steps to try to catch issues. One is while you're developing and while you're typing in your IDE, and so you can immediately see with red underlines, created doesn't exist, user.complete doesn't exist, uh, or you're expecting user dot is complete. For some reason, you're expecting it to return a string, but it's going to return a Boolean. So make sure that the thing you're interacting with here is a Boolean. So you get that while you're typing. But for me, as I sort of dig into on a, on a larger size front end team, how can you leverage DevOpsy type things to improve developer experience or consistency? The other step that you get sort of immediately is a, a, a build during your build or your compilation step, you learn a lot about your application, whether it's working the way you expected it to be working. So when I change on my, let's let's instead call it a customer object, on my customer object, when I change subscribe to be is subscribed, does that break things? Like on all the places that are expecting their props to be of type customer or expecting to emit customers, were they accessing customer dot subscribed and does it now need to be as subscribed and so at the time you commit your code and you know perhaps it runs through a ci pipeline or you're just building it locally you can catch a lot of errors before it actually gets to runtime once the code is in the browser and i think for us that's been huge (laughs) we get very excited about build failures which is great yeah there have been times when i've had for user that is complete maybe i want to move that to a registration object like user dot registration that is complete because like some other devs were complaining. It's like, what does it mean for a user to be complete? Like, what, what, is, what is this talking about? You complete me. <laughs> <laughs> we have reached enlightenment. Great. False to true. <laughs> At that point, you can just turn off your application, right? Once the user dot is complete, like there's no reason to do anything else. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> obviously. They are beyond earthly desire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but if I if I reorganize things and then I have to remember, okay, like where are all the places where I'm working with something related to user registration? You know, whether it's whether it's complete or some other registration info that is now underneath this nested object. And something nice about TypeScript is it'll just like start throwing errors until you've resolved everything, assuming you've been you've been disciplined with your typings everywhere and not gotten too lazy with just like oh, let's just do any for now. Oh my God, stop calling me out, Chris. <laughs> I, I'm speaking from personal experience. Right, yeah, we've all, we've all done it. Well, I think something that would be interesting for, I think, people listening um, to kind of push on Ari's point a little bit more, Jack. So having been on the team, I know that TypeScript was actually, they were a little bit resistant to the idea when I was um, sort of there. And so we had tabled it. And so how have things changed as far as the developer reactions and sort of people's thoughts? Yeah. I was going to say an uh, an ongoing battle, but I actually don't think it is at this point. So 
when we initially started, there's certainly, I think, two very legitimate reasons to be hesitant about adopting TypeScript, either on an individual project or at a, at a team or company level. One is what we've already talked about, which is that in view specifically, maybe it's a view specific reason, but in view specifically, there are some things that it makes more frustrating or that add a little bit of overhead. The Vuex example, uh, getting used to the syntax. But the second very legitimate reason is that for whatever amount that TypeScript adds complexity to development, you don't want that to be a barrier to entry to any people on your team committing to your code base. So depending, again, on the size of your team, there's likely multiple projects or repositories or or code bases that you may be working across. And so if someone uh, over in project A continues to just use JavaScript, while project B is now starting to use TypeScript, you don't want any additional friction for developers from project A to move to project B. So in both of those cases, that was sort of the initial hesitation. The initial one was um, a a directory project. And uh, as we've done that, it's been seven months of TypeScript now, I guess, eight. The reaction has been really positive. Uh, The people who worked on that project, quickly, the, the learning curve, there's two parts. There's the setup getting over the few hurdles, and then there's the learning curve for individual developers. Both of them have been quite manageable, and especially the developers who work primarily on that directory project, uh, I, I fell in love with is probably going too far, but certainly would say that they'd much rather not use uh, JavaScript on a project going forward. And then the really, the thing that sort of pushed us over the hump is that we were able to take Ari, an existing project, which for us was sort of a separate conversation, but our shared component library we were able to, which existed, started around the same time, but in JavaScript view components, we were able to allow TypeScript on that. And it was not, it was not a super easy process. And we also had the benefit of it, it's, it's shared components. So there is no Vuex to deal with, but to get that in place and then to be able to use types in the shared component library and then optionally use those same types in the consuming projects that are using, that are using TypeScript there was just a lot of uh, opportunity there to get all developers at least exposed to it with the initial things of like, how do I add the most basic part of TypeScript is how, how and when do you add a colon after variable and then tell TypeScript what the type of this is? Getting used to that sort of thing has really reduced friction when those same developers come in and, and work on projects that are fully in TypeScript. And so at this point, I, I expect that all of our new projects are going to be in TypeScript. That's been the case at least for one most recent project, and that we'll continue to keep an eye on the cases where we can sort of retroactively add it in specific cases, but with the with the knowledge that there are certainly some uh, places where it's just not going to be worth it. So when you guys were implementing TypeScript in your component library, was that a sort of incremental change or was it a, hey, let's just do this overhaul all at once? Fortunately, it can be a gradual thing. So the all at once part has to be to make sure that all the any compilation or testing steps that you build on top of the Vue CLI that those have to still work with your TypeScript components. But because of how Vue decided to approach this, where you can just set lang equals ts on an individual component, we're able to make that an optional thing. So we have twenty five shared components, I think, and only four of them are in TypeScript right now because those are the only ones who have needed it. So in that way, uh, you get you get a decent amount of flexibility. So the the hassle is in any additional setup that's required for your build or CI or testing tooling. Uh, But once you get over that, we have full flexibility at this point to gradually change over any components that would benefit from TypeScript annotations. Awesome. See, now now I'm feeling hopeful about this. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. 
That's code devchat at century.io. One other potential downside, though, since I, not to dash your hopes, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but something that, <laughs> like a, a problem that I've experienced in TypeScript sometimes is that like, anything you spend time on comes at an opportunity cost of something else. And especially when developers are, are not coming from a strongly typed language and they want to create like, you know, really, really dynamic interfaces in JavaScript that sometimes TypeScript doesn't like so much. And then users end up spending, and, or developers end up spending a lot of time making TypeScript happy. And that time comes at the cost of something else. And you know, one of the things that that can come at the cost of is unit tests. And at least in my experience, like the vast majority of bugs that I see aren't as a result of typing errors, but rather the result of things that like unit tests can catch and are ideally suited to catch. And so when it, when it leads to fewer unit tests um, or fewer end-to-end tests, like that, that makes me a little bit worried when people feel like they have a false sense of security because they, they worry that the, or they think the types are going to save them from everything when really it's a, it's a really a small subset of bugs that the types are saving them from. And again, only if they're disciplined. I mean, Chris, you assume that I write unit tests or end-to-end tests already. <laughs> I, well, I, I, or I guess no, that's a good point, though. That's a good point, though. No, I mean, for, for people who aren't writing unit tests or end-to-end tests yet, I'd say, like, invest time in that before you go into TypeScript. And I, I'd be curious to hear what other people's thoughts are. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's very compelling. I think my initial response is that I would agree in most cases, or, or maybe even all cases, that there are a lot of uh, bugs that you can catch with unit tests that wouldn't be caught purely with TypeScript. But that I think in at least a certain subset of applications where it's data heavy, where there's lots of data being passed back and forth between lots of different components, I think that, I guess my argument is that the the benefit and potentially time savings that you get from having TypeScript in place where you don't have to be flipping between between files. And I think one of the really compelling arguments for TypeScript is you have this deeply nested object. You have your customer dot uh, registration or user dot registration dot first or whatever dot is, is complete. Those types of things where you're constantly trying to guess and find the fact that IDEs and VS Code in particular will auto-complete those things and tell you what's available and sort of guide you along the way. I think in a data-heavy application where you're often doing those types of manipulations, I think the time savings from having TypeScript in place often offsets some of the make TypeScript happy work, though I would definitely not contest that, that given the choice between the two, often it'd be better or more useful to spend the initial time. Yeah, although uh, at least in VS Code, which you know, uses some, some TypeScript tooling to you know, automatically give you some, some extra intelligence, even if you're not using TypeScript, if you're using like classes or prototypes, and especially in combination with Vitor, like you'll already get actually a lot of that type information without even using TypeScript, you know, because you've, you've told it very explicitly, I'm using this kind of thing, and it knows what kind of properties that thing has. So I guess like specifically the use case that I have been looking at recently is sort of the integration layer between our API and the front end and it's not uncommon for there to be breaking changes to our data models. So I was sort of looking into ways to dynamically pull in types from an open API uh, spec, but really the only useful way to do that would be with TypeScript. And so, because <laughs> I mean, yeah, like JavaScript's gonna be like, I don't, I don't really care what any of this is. <laughs> it's just a name. But yeah, so for me, and like, because we have had a lot of uncaught bugs due to that type of thing <laughs> type <laughs> sorry <laughs> to be sort of a separate issue from yeah <laughs> from writing unit tests which i'm not as disciplined about that as i should be but there are certain times where i feel that unit testing is more important than others depending on the type of thing that's being tested and when i'm like oh man it's actually true really mess myself up by not doing a unit test. I will, I will take the time and I will write it, even though like I'm just like, <laughs> uh, the whole time. <laughs> if there's a moment, if I can get on my soapbox about that exact thing that Ari brought up, the single big 
biggest benefit to TypeScript in our two or three projects now using it has been exactly Ari's use case, which is finding a way to keep things consistent between the front end and back end when you know that there are significant benefits to keeping them separate, obviously, like all the things that make an SPA an SPA. But how do you keep them consistent when you've already done the work in one place of generating data models and, and, uh, and knowing, you know, knowing the types that are available? Ari, out of curiosity, is your backend, not that it really matters, but what language is it written in? Java. So strongly okay, typed. Got it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have the exact same thing. And in our case, it's a, a Spring Boot backend that you can attach. Yeah, nice. Okay. I think, hopefully, this could be very useful. But any backend that attaches annotations to generate an open API spec, that means that there's this beautiful JSON file that describes exactly what each endpoint accepts and what it returns. Then there are projects built on top of that to generate clients for consuming that API. So whereas we typically, in a few projects, maybe we use Axios, we'd do axios.get, and then we'd manually we'd type out the URL, and then maybe we'd add request parameters, and then we'd get the response, and then we'd, we'd guess what properties are available on the response. What has been huge for us is that you can generate a TypeScript API client. So when I, we, have a, we have a search API, and so I'll run the command to generate type, generate the HTTP client for that search API, or for our user API, or for our uh, directory API. So we'll generate those. And then at the time, at, you know, when it's come time to perform a search, I'll just do search API dot and then with IntelliSense, see what methods are available on it. One is, uh, one is search members or something, search members of Congress in Politico's case. So search members, and then it'll tell me exactly the shape of the search request that it needs because it has that type information from Java. And then I can, you know, await that and... At the time that I'm using the response, it'll tell me, okay, for a member, you have member dot, and you have uh, photo, you have link, you have first name, last name, that type of thing. And all of that is maintained just with an NPM command to like run, uh, you know, get latest TypeScript client. And the fact that we can run that at any time, get the latest code, and then see, did our build break? Did the things that we were expecting to be there, are they no longer there? Or is there something new, very importantly, as you're trying to coordinate work with your backend and they've added the member.photo URL because now there are photos available, you can see that, yep, now in our, in our QA environment, this is available so I can start accessing the photo. That's been huge. Uh, it's probably the, I've been emphasizing like data-heavy applications. It's probably been the single be- biggest benefit for us on our TypeScript code bases. And for anything, the nice thing is that you can do a very similar thing with GraphQL, which is also, you know, typed for, for the most part and that you have a validation spec. So for any either open API or Swagger API, which is the same thing, or a GraphQL API, you can find a way to generate these TypeScript clients, which has been huge and super time-saving for us. All of that sounded I, so amazing. <laughs> I honestly can't recommend it enough. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's a spot to link to things. I'll, I'll point out some of the best resources for working with that. Yes, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I, I like that workflow a lot as well. And even when you're not using a strongly typed language in the back end, if you have a database schema, which probably has types in it, then you still have the ability to like parse that file and then generate like models and interfaces for TypeScript. That can be like, you could even put those in like separate files. So you could like have all of your like models and interfaces that are anywhere in your application, like available for the front end, and then just like import the ones that you actually need, import the ones that you actually use. And so that way, like it yeah. can be part of your source code automatically generated, like whenever the back end adds a new type of thing. And yeah. it's just always available. Like the, the front end people don't even have to worry about generating those. Yeah. Actually, at the previous place, so the, the previous, that Angular project I worked on, it should have been that good in that they were using, so their backend was C-sharp and front end was TypeScript. So those are actually, like, those two languages had the same creator, essentially, over at Microsoft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's a very good marriage. Yeah, it should have just worked perfectly. And instead, we were maintaining two separate sets of models because we hadn't yet had that in place. And so... uh much regret in that case. And I wasn't, I'm, I'm really hopeful that they found a way to address that issue. But the, 
the tools that exist for um, generating from either an open API spec or a data, database schema or anything like that. Yeah, it works fantastically. Yeah, and, and sometimes the database schema isn't enough. Like sometimes there are, you know, essentially computed properties, speaking in views language, you know, that are added to the model that are, are not specific to the database. Like you might have a full name that adds like first name and last name together, which are separate properties. You know, so there's, there's still some extra work that you have to do on, on top of that sometimes, but it's, it saves so much work once you set it up. And it gives you one single place to update whenever you need things to update. Yeah, absolutely. That single source of truth, I think, is huge for an application. That's where you're trying to figure out who's responsible for this information about our application. I'm suddenly starting to feel extremely grateful for some of the choices I made when setting up our API interactions, because I literally, I set it up like as an API on the front end. So it's just like liquid API oh, yeah. dot and then the endpoints. So oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. this would be a lot less painful than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The huge thing there is that you can just replace those parts of your application. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am so happy with myself right now. <laughs> This sounds like a blog post where you just get to congratulate yourself after this. Yeah, after no, this, and I mean, you know. I love doing that, so. <laughs> That's so nice when that happens, when you can think back and think like, I, I was really smart. Uh, rather than the times when you think back <laughs> so months, really. like, who wrote this code? They should be fine. Oh, that was me. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I've literally, literally never had that. I've only been angry at past Jack. <laughs> I know, I, this is a new feeling. I'm going to savor it. <laughs> So Jack, do you have any questions for like the panelists? I think from what we've discussed here of kind of the the problems that TypeScript can solve or help address, and, and especially since, you know, I think TypeScript is a popular enough topic in, in the front-end community that I'm sure all three of you have spent a decent portion of time thinking about it. When, to you, does it feel worthwhile? And have you... Um, I guess, have you spent any time either on projects you work on or, or on personal projects? making use of that, I guess. So maybe two separate questions. So I guess I'll go first. So I, when I, like, I'm a consultant, so I, I work with like a lot of different teams rather than on a single product. And I always have the team that I'm working with decide. I, I try to lay out like exactly what we've been talking about, like these different pros and cons, you know, and depending on their background, like if they're coming from a C-sharp or Java background, they're going to be a lot more comfortable with TypeScript. And they're already going to be writing code that will be very similar to TypeScript code than if they're coming from like Ruby or Python or something like that, or even JavaScript on the back end. And so it, I try to lay out all the pros and cons and then let them decide because I, I ultimately believe like teams have to have ownership of their tooling. And I could feel really bad about TypeScript simply for the fact that like I didn't choose it and I felt like it was forced upon me. And I'm like looking for things to, you know, to pick on. <laughs> And, you know, then I, I get into like a grass is always greener scenario or vice versa if I don't do TypeScript. And I'm thinking like, oh, this would have been so much better with TypeScript. Literally my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think either way is good. I think large enterprise applications can and certainly are built with, without TypeScript and they can be built with TypeScript too. And I've never, ever in my life seen a perfect application where their use of TypeScript is like absolutely flawless. Like they're, they're using it for, you know, in exactly the right ways and they're never fighting against it. And TypeScript is never like getting in the way of anything. And I've never seen a case where like everyone's, you know, doing unit tests and end-to-end -end tests, like perfectly 100% coverage. Oh, they, they've never had a bug. Um, you know, the new person comes in the team, a new developer and two years in, she doesn't even know like what, what a bug means. Uh, <laughs> I've never had a situation like that where there's some kind of utopia. Uh, so everything is compromises and you're going to be able to ship either way and just try your best and try to make the decisions that are, that are best for you. I think I'm going to piggyback off of that. So uh, as some listeners may know, if they've been listening to the last few episodes, I had the chance to do a complete rewrite of the app that I work on on a daily basis. And one of the questions that we discussed at the start was, do we want to use TypeScript? I regret the decision that we made now, but there were reasons. It, part of the reason was speed of development because as has been mentioned several times, it, it can add some overhead. And also we didn't really want to fight against 
setup, <laughs> to be honest. And like I had read some iffy things about views uh, integration with TypeScript. Mind you, this was over a year ago. So I think things have improved greatly in that time. But it still could be a lot better. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See? So that was a huge part of why we didn't go that route. But being a data heavy application, there are so many times where I'm like, God, I wish I had the type safety. Because <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, I realize that I'm passing this thing around everywhere and I have no way of guaranteeing that it still looks the same everywhere. And, you know, as much as I try to do that, like I said, just yesterday I discovered that. I wasn't actually invoking the class in one scenario and it caused a bug. <laughs> so my personal experience with TypeScript was I've only used it on one um, project. It was my capstone project at my coding bootcamp. I would say that in that scenario, was it hugely beneficial? No, but it allowed me to understand why TypeScript could be beneficial. But so I'd say like small projects... I don't really see a huge advantage to it. <laughs> but yeah, once you start to get into more data-heavy enterprise-type things, uh, I, I wish every day that I had it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for me, so the one, the one of the things that made me really sad uh, when I left Politico was um, Jack came on with all this TypeScript experience, which is what we really needed at Politico. Because again, I had tried to sort of mention it and bring it up, but without the background to actually push it forward and make it happen, it was difficult. So Jack coming on was so perfect. And unfortunately, I left before Jack could really get the engine going and I could really get my hands on some TypeScript. So for me, actually, I'm still, I've still yet to do a lot of like practical application work with TypeScript. I've done a couple of tutorials here and there, but absolutely eyeing it as far as like, um, obviously, I think most people have heard, but like Vue 3.0, like the core libraries being rewritten with TypeScript. So for me, it's like um, knowing that and wanting to be able to contribute to that is certainly part of my motivation for wanting to do more with TypeScript. Similar to Ari's point earlier, I think for personal projects, I think I haven't had the motivation to learn it yet because I probably wouldn't benefit as much when it's like really quick prototypes or just like just get out something really quick. But I think the moment it starts to be um, for the on the team level and you start to do that open source bit, like uh, the project I'm currently working on at GitLab, entirely open source, but eventually I think we do need to go that TypeScript route to help ensure that it's more stable because it is an open source framework. So definitely Jack's um, evangelizing and you know all those good things I've heard have made me definitely consider it in the future for the projects that I work on with larger teams. Yeah, and I, I'd say that's a, that's a good point if you're just building like a prototype or something to maybe test product market fit. Yeah, that might not be the best place for TypeScript, you know, when speed of development is, is really top. You know, in, in that case, realistically, you're probably not going to have a lot of tests either. <laughs> I tried nope. so hard to get it. It just, yeah. That's a deadline approached. Unit test just fell by the wayside. I've <laughs> never heard that before in my life. Right? I know. No one ever does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you have like a legacy application that let's say, you know, you're converting over to Vue and you're rewriting a lot of stuff anyway, you know, that, that could be a good opportunity to introduce TypeScript. And especially like this is a, Huge application. Uh, maybe you have thousands, even models <laughs> that you have to keep track of. Like realistically, no one in the team has it all in their head. Like no, even if they've been there for ten years, and so you just have to like rely on the tooling a little bit more and let it help you. And like the, the application is so sprawling that like you need to be reminded of like all the places where you know that might be affected by a change, or else you become too afraid to touch anything. I mean, how many people have? been in applications like that where like there are some parts of the application that you just don't want to touch because you don't know what would happen. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. I had one, uh, this is, this is a little bit of an aside, but related kind of to, to the, to the view implementation of TypeScript and just something for, for people hearing this. And if <laughs> I doubt the reaction is this sounds great, but I need even more type safety in my, um, in my application, uh, but for those people thinking that, one thing that's been cool to see from a from a framework implementation perspective is obviously Vue has the great setup of a of a single file component where where HTML is, is separate from the JavaScript or TypeScript in this case, and the tooling around that has gotten really really good. And so Vitor, the interactions that we can start to see between 
what exists in your script component and what is made available to you or recommended to you in, in your template where you can start typing. And, and that's just a, a works equally well in a TypeScript or a JavaScript scenario. But for those, for people who want to see like what would happen if I could like somehow TypeScript literally everything, the answer is what React has done with TSX. So when you're writing your template in, well, it started with JSX, obviously, when you write your template in JavaScript, that means that when you write your template in TypeScript um, and this, you know, JSX, the weird blend that it is of, of JavaScript and HTML, it does mean that you get type safety when you're setting props or handling events in React. And so I, I think a useful thing to do is see kind of how other um, applications or, or tools are approaching this. And that was a really interesting thing to see. It was from the it was from a shared components perspective, but Shopify, their shared component, uh, their shared component library does this super well where you can you can just clone that and take a look at it. And if you can see that when you start typing, like, you know, you have your customer component and you start typing. I don't know. You start typing ID, you can see that auto-populated, even though it's within a, a template type thing. So I think that's something to uh, perhaps keep in mind for for huge teams, maybe, is that like you uh, when you really want everything typed, which is usually not <laughs> usually not the solution, but you can get this type safety on props and events and uh, within your component or, or template architecture. I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. And and that kind of leads into, I think, my last question for, for Chris specifically is we know that views being rewritten, you know, or that the view 3.0 is, is in TypeScript. And I was wondering what your impression is. Obviously, there's the function API RFC and everything that goes into that. But have you seen, I guess, kind of what what has the the focus been from a TypeScript perspective, is it just to attempt to make the development more maintainable or to also uh, give some benefits to people who are working with TypeScript in view from a, from a, um, from a, you know, a Politico or a Liquid or a GitLab perspective? Yeah, I understand. So really, Vue itself being written in TypeScript is really for us rather than for you. <laughs> you know, it just means yeah, we don't have to separately maintain type definitions. <laughs> it actually has no effect on users whatsoever. Uh, and if we didn't make any yeah, API changes, yeah, yeah. like it wouldn't make TypeScript, the TypeScript experience any better. But yeah, with the, yeah. With the functions API in particular, you know, we are working on APIs that will make it much easier to work with TypeScript and make you have to do like less work to like find a compromise between, you know, Vue and TypeScript and, you know, really like wonderful dynamic code that is possible in JavaScript and also the, the strictness of TypeScript. And Vue 3 will be the first time that I'll be like truly happy with the way that like TypeScript is supported in Vue. Like right now, like we've, we, we've done a lot and it's certainly manageable. Like a lot of companies use TypeScript very happily with Vue. But with Vue 3 and, and the next version of Vuex in particular, that experience will, will get much better to the point where like my hope, and it, it seems like it, at least in many ways, there really won't be much difference between the kind of TypeScript support we offer and the kind of TypeScript support like Angular offers. It'll feel that natural. It will not be required. Uh, unlike, unlike Angular, it will not be required. You do not have to use it. I will not be using it on every application. I would be upset if I had to use it on every application. And it will not feel like you're doing things wrong when you're not using TypeScript. Uh, that will not be the case at all. So you're saying I should wait for Vue 3? <laughs> Get out of here. Endeavor of creating TypeScript. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think you need to wait for Vue 3. But be in my best interest, though. <laughs> I mean, you have, I assume, you have bugs now. <laughs> no, never. Ari's one of those <laughs> of the bugs kind of person. But you know what? You could you could do like a partial migration, like Jack was talking about. Yeah. You know, where you can you can start migrating some things to TypeScript. We are going to get the most benefit. Like, you know, I know we've had bugs that have been that could have been caught by typing here. Yeah. You know, and so we can we can add some typings here. And for the rest, we won't worry about it for now. 
That seems reasonable, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I would say even, I, I haven't attempted to take this approach, but even thinking to yourself, just every file, because it sounds like you have your API files, which are responsible for the API. Every file that's just .js instead of .view, like that can certainly be a .ts file if you, you know, you turn off the no implicit anything and like you just switch those file extensions. Obviously, you need to make sure view set up to compile that correctly, but that's certainly an option. Components can... I sort of thought might be the best starting point. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess like, the, I felt like that would be with less... The bracket, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the bracketing of, I guess, Vuex files are also .js, so maybe, you know, a moment of thought about those. But it's really, it's, it's in the components where that can. starts to become an issue. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sh- should we start wrapping up? What, what do people think? Any final questions for Jack? Yeah, I'm good on questions on my end. I'm good for now. I'm, I may be uh, pinging you later, though, Jack. <laughs> Very fair. So speaking of pinging you, where can Very people find you on the internet? <laughs> on the interwebs, I can be found on Twitter at Jack P. Coppa. GitHub is Jack Coppa. Uh, my site, just jackcoppa.com. And I like to Twitter and GitHub-wise just kind of focus a, a big portion of the things that I'm focused on right now that happen to be TypeScript and Vue, and I guess on the side, shared components related. So very happy to talk about that. And I'm also, I have an account on the, the Vue Discord as well. This episode is sponsored by GitLab Commit. GitLab's inaugural user event brings together the GitLab community to connect, learn, and inspire. Speakers will showcase the power of DevOps in action through strategy and technology decisions, lessons learned, behind-the-scenes looks at the development lifecycle, and more. Learn how to innovate the future of software development by registering today. GitLab Commit Brooklyn, September 17th, and GitLab Commit London, October 9th. You can find it at devchat.tv slash GitLab Commit. All right, let's do picks then. Let's start with Ari. Ari, would you like to go first? Sure, I can do that. Uh, I have one pick this week. It is a podcast called Soft Skills Engineering. It's actually hosted by... uh, Two previous panelists from JavaScript Jabber, if anyone also listens to that. It's essentially, uh, they answer non-technical questions about technical fields. So it's sort of like advice for dealing with uh, workplace-related tensions, generally. (laughs) I love it because they give good answers eventually, but they like to start with like all of the most ridiculous answers. It's so entertaining. (laughs) but also informative. So if, uh, if you want to listen to something tech adjacent, but also just plain entertaining, I highly recommend Soft Skills Engineering. Awesome. I'll be adding that to my list. Chris, what picks do you have for us this week? All right. I have two picks or three, depending on how you count them. The first one is a blog post. I, I actually don't do a lot of tech stuff in my picks usually, but this one is an article about Vue, in view, when do I actually need the key attribute and why? This is an article that uh, Marina Mosti wrote that is just freaking fantastic. It's the best explanation I've see, seen so far, I think, of like when you actually need the key attribute in view uh, and also a very entertaining read. So definitely recommend that if you have any kind of uh, confusion about that. And my second pick is... Uh, Beat Saber, which I've talked about before. I'm pretty sure that's been a, a pick before. It's a game where you're basically hitting boxes with lightsabers to the rhythm of a song. <laughs> so it's like the most awesome Jedi training. It's like combine DDR with like virtual <laughs> Jedi training. That's exactly I as cool as it I think at the NVIDIA booth at Supercompute a couple years ago, they were having competitions with that. And it looked really entertaining, but I was too scared to try. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I, I, I've gotten pretty good at this point. I play on like Expert Plus. Oh, okay, okay. I'm not a brag or anything, but like, <laughs> I'm pretty good. I think and, we need some uh, live streaming. Yes. People have asked for that. I don't think it would be as entertaining as people think it would, though. I don't know. Yeah. It would be really like, good. <laughs> it's just like me dancing poorly while hitting things you can't see. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what about that is not entertaining? Yeah, the thing you just described is perfect. Yeah, I guess when you say it like that, yeah. 
<laughs> I, I wasn't thinking about people like laughing at me rather than with me. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but another resource with that is Beat Saber. I, I consider this an essential resource. Uh, it has like a, a guide for modding the game and also allowing you to download custom songs that other people create. So like, you know, if there's like a, a Taylor Swift song that isn't in the game that uh, you really want to shake it off to, wow. then you can have fun with that. And by the way, Shake It Off is a really good track. You should check it out on, on BeatSaver.com. B-E-A-T-S-A-V-E-R rather than Saver, rather than Saber. And those are my picks for today. Awesome. Jack, do you have any picks for us this week? Yeah, I'll do uh, one tech, one not. Sort of related to Chris's mention of the of the blog post on the key attribute. Uh, Dan Evermuff's his overreacted blog actually ends up being surprisingly applicable to understanding frameworks in general and Vue in particular. So the one that stands out is React as a UI runtime. Uh, it's from a little while ago, but I wasn't on the show a little while ago, so throwing that in there. Um, long read, but super useful for understanding some of the things behind a, a framework. And then non-tech, Kim Stanley Robinson is a sci-fi author that I like a lot. And the, the one that I read most recently that uh, stands out a bit is called Aurora. He does kind of like hard sci-fi. So things that are believable, um, but with cool societal implications stuff. Um, so yeah, Kim Stanley Robinson is an author. Ooh, I, 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 don't, I haven't read any Kim Stanley Robinson. Would you compare him to anyone else? Uh, yes. So a little bit like Asimov was foundation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So a little bit, some of the like societal implications from the foundation series, but Asimov is obviously not like a, like a hard sci-fi kind of thing. So like, like it's interesting for that reason, but with um, like technology that you could imagine. So it's more about the technology than having like a whole chapter that's just about how like uh, women should stay in the kitchen and they'd be happier. Yes, wow. I think it. Uh, I think it stays away from that. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's Our good. Choice. That's something that I, I swear. Like any book, like any sci-fi book written before 1970 by, not, a, by a man. Yeah. It seems like we all have one chapter that is just outrageously sexist. At least one. It makes it so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Heinlein is is guilty of this too in all his books. Yeah. It's tough, uh, to, wow. tough to move past those parts. Yeah, yeah fortunately, <laughs> these are written. These are written post nineteen ninety, so at least that's good. Very slightly more enlightened. Note cool. to self: Do not read pre nineteen seventy science fiction written by a man. <laughs> I mean, you just have to keep it in mind that you're probably going to see that. Yeah, I think I'll just avoid it because I don't yeah. enjoy being enraged, but it happens. <laughs> How do you exist you, online? You know what? Some classic, some classic to. science fiction that you can read without feeling guilty about it. Octavia Butler. Read all the I, yeah, I actually, I have read some of her short stories and yes, she is great. All right. As far as my picks for this week, I um, just got back from Comic-Con and highly recommend it to anyone who is not afraid of crowds. Like there, there are over a hundred thousand people in attendance. So if crowds are not your thing, don't go to Comic-Con, but otherwise it was a, a blast. Um, there's definitely something for everyone. Um, got to attend the Supernatural panel over the last series. So it was a lot of fun. I got two more picks. I'm really late to the game on this one, but I discovered Stardew Valley, which yes, uh, (laughs) like farm and you sell crops and it's really cathartic. So, so this is why you haven't been responding to my messages. (laughs) (laughs) I I had some green slimes to kill. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, listen, I had Stardew Valley in my life for a time too, and now I am not allowed to play it. Yeah, it was really great for when you're waiting in the long Comic-Con lines and just, you know, you just plant your radishes and, you know, realize <laughs> the stores close on Wednesday. So you're like, God, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it is so peaceful. By the way, for anyone who is addicted to Stardew Valley and would like something similar to that, I have not played this, but I've heard that I would love it if I love Stardew Valley. Slime Rancher. <laughs> I have not heard of that one. Real game? Real game, Slime Rancher. I think it's on Steam, probably in other places too. But I've, I've heard it is a cure for depression. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. That's what a lot of the reviews say. I have not played it. And I'm, I'm doing okay right now. 
Uh, so I'm more depressed, but that is good to know. My final and last pick is a book that's been on the top chart recently, and it's called Educated, which is like this autobiography of this woman who led this, grew up in a town where or like her family never sent her to school. And it's just like this crazy story that honestly could have been fiction, but it's her like her real life. And so um, if you're looking for just like a good nonfiction read, check out Educated. And with that, does anyone have any final thoughts or questions? Nah, let's wrap it up. All right. And that's it for this episode of Views on View. Thanks for joining us. And until next week, enjoy the view. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.